Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. In looking through the foundational statements of the Restoration Movement, one of the statements is, in matters of faith, unity. In matters of opinion, liberty. And in all things, love. So on the essentials, we need to be united. Um, that's, these are the essentials. Um, on non-essentials, we can disagree. Is it better to have a piano or drums and guitar? You can have an opinion. There's nothing wrong with an opinion, but it's an opinion. Uh, my, my own opinion is whatever brings in the most people is probably what I prefer. It should fit the community. It should also, um, you know, if one church is old-fashioned and, and the next church down the road is a little more modern and progressive, it kind of hits everybody. Um, but, but the point is, there's, there are things that are non-negotiable. We find them in this book. And if it's not in this book... It's an opinion, and you're allowed to have them, but we love each other even when we disagree about opinions. 1 John chapter 4, 7, John tells us, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We either display God's love or we don't know Him. That's what John tells us. Um, that's, that, that's simple. So, so let us make sure that we love one another. We won't always agree on things like you know, the color of the carpet, the style of music, and that's okay. Um, we're, our goal is to love each other anyway, to show that love, and to work towards the same common goal of teaching the biblical Jesus to our world. Now, We've been looking through uh, what the Bible says on various subjects uh, because we're kind of, it's kind of an overview of the restoration movement and in, in, in particular this church uh, of, of what we teach and why we teach it, what we do here at the First Church of Christ. I, I'm not trying to say that other churches won't agree with, with many of these sermons. I hope that they do. But last week we looked at the Lord's Supper. And this week, I'm going to look at the offering plate. We, we, we did the one, now we'll do, now we'll do the other. Um, every, every church has an offering plate. Actually, I went to a church in Illinois that didn't have an offering plate. They kept it hidden. Um, they, the members knew how to give to the church, and visitors never, never saw it. Um, some, I think that they did that. There are people who think that the church only ever asks for money. Uh, I try not to hit the money subject any more often than I need to. Having said that, it's biblical. The subject of giving to the Lord is biblical, so I don't want to dodge it. 
Um, no, nobody hates televangelists asking for money more. Than, uh, that's why I don't watch. I don't watch Christian television. Um, I'm not saying that there aren't good things on there. There may be. I wouldn't know because I don't watch it. Uh, they do seem to ask for a lot of a lot of money on there. Uh, people will say, "Well, we have to pass the offering plate because we have to keep the lights on." There is a better reason. There is a biblical reason that doesn't involve electricity. Uh, so, so we're going to look at that today. It's part of our worship to God. It shows our priorities. I think it shows it to us as much as it shows it to God. And I think God expects us to give to his mission. Uh, and I think we'll see that. I will say, there's a lot of scripture I want to look at, so I want to hit the ground running, and I probably won't talk about any of these scriptures very any, any more than I need to because I would rather hit a broad swathe of scriptures and show that there's a lot on the subject than to focus on a single passage, at least this time through. So, with that said, Genesis, we're going to start in the beginning. Genesis chapter 4, verse, uh, verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And so Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. All right, so what did Cain do wrong? Well, I'm not 100% sure about all the details. What I know is that the Bible emphasizes that Abel brought the best, the firstborn, the best of what he had, and Cain brought some of what he had. That much is clear from the language. And, and because of this, God was not pleased. Now, I don't know where they got the idea to make offerings to God of grains or of, of animals and, and and, and slaughtering the animals. Maybe God told them, maybe, you know, they were the first people on some of the first people on earth. Maybe it was common sense to them. Here's what I do know God deserves our best. He's not asking for all that we have, uh, but He does expect the choice first bits of our life our time, our attention, our resources. Uh, and, I, and I think that that's the lesson out of Genesis. Cain offered some, but Abel offered the best. And I think that that's our lesson. Now let's build on that. Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14, verse 17. After Abram returned from defeating Keterleomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley. And then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Okay, this passage has come up before Melchizedek is mentioned in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Um, and and I, there are some things I don't... I don't know why Abram, who became Abraham, I don't know why 
he gave 10% of his plunder to Melchizedek. I don't see a command. Uh, maybe, maybe it was something God told him to do that's not written down. Uh, there, and, and my other question then is, and why Melchizedek? Who kind of, when I say pops up out of nowhere, pops up, I mean, this is the first, this is the only thing we read about Melchizedek in the Old Testament. That was all of it. That was the whole passage. We don't know where he comes from. Uh, we don't know what his relationship, he, he apparently has a relationship with God, but I don't know a lot of details about that relationship with God. What I see is that the father of Israel sets up a pattern of giving 10% off the top to God. And that's what the definition of tithe is. Every now and then somebody will tell me, well, my tithe is 5%. That's, you can't do that. <laughs> You, you can say that what you're giving is 5%, but a tithe by definition is 10%. That's what Abraham did towards Melchizedek. Um, he entrusted that to someone who apparently worked, can I, can I use the phrase, worked for God? Someone who represented God in more than a casual or hobby capacity. Um, he wasn't just anyone. I will simply say this is one of the reasons that I would absolutely say that giving to the Lord is different than giving to charity. Let me be clear. Charities are great. I'm all in favor of feeding feeding and housing and clothing the poor, um, cancer research. All of these charities are wonderful things. Um, I I am in favor of cancer research. But giving, giving a portion of your income to cancer research and then saying, I gave it to charity close enough, that's a gift to God, doesn't hold up with the biblical example where we're told to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse of the Lord. Um, Abraham gives his gift to God through Melchizedek, um, who, is, who is king and priest of Salem, and that sets us up an example that we will continue to see. Second Samuel Chapter 24, verse 18. So the backdrop on this one, just to give the backdrop. Uh, In in the days of Samuel's youth and Eli as the last judge of Israel, uh, the Ark of the Covenant got captured. And while they, in the beginning of 1 Samuel, they get it most of the way home, they don't finish bringing it all the way home. And so it languishes, so to speak, um, on a farmer's property on the edge of Israel uh, between Israel and, and, and Philistia, which would be the Gaza Strip, uh, Gaza being one of the Philistine towns. So now we're at the end of King David's reign. On that day, Gad went to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. And so David went up as the Lord had commanded through Gad. When Arana looked and saw the king and his men coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Arana said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Arana said to David, Let my lord the king take whatever pleases him and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and here are threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. O king, Arana gives all this to the king. Arana also said to him, May the lord your God accept you. But the king replied to Arana, 
No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offering that cost me nothing. And so David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord answered prayer in behalf of the Lord of the land and the plague on Israel was stopped. David reminds us of a very important point in this passage. It's not true worship if it doesn't cost us, if it's just leftovers. Uh, Cain. Cain brought God some. Abel brought God the best. Uh, What does this tell me about what I give to God? It shouldn't be the leftovers. What I, I, I shouldn't go through my week, you know, go to the bank on Monday, uh, get, you know, put X amount of money in my wallet at the end of the week, see what's left over and say, oh, God can have, God can, you know, I didn't buy that many comic books this week, so God can, you know, God gets more this week. Next week, there's more comic books coming out, so God won't get as much. That's, that's giving God the leftovers. Um, that, that, that's not, in, that's not a tithe or an offering, that's, that's just leftovers. And like with Cain, I think if we give him some, some of our money, some of our leftovers, uh, that he will not be impressed. Now, he doesn't need everything that I have, and he's not asking me to give 100%. He doesn't want to see me be so broke uh, that now I'm the one that needs to be taken care of, um, but he should get my best. Uh, if he is of value to me in my life, uh, how I spend my finances should, should reflect that. Look with me at, Ma- at, the, at the end of the, of the Old Testament, at Malachi chapter 1. Malachi has a lot to say on the subject. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father... Well, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty, it is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. And but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals... Is that not wrong? Well, try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now, implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, it's defiled, and of his food, its food, it's contemptible. And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured crippled or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices. Should I accept them from your hands? Says the Lord. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. 
For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And again, we're reminded God doesn't want our leftovers. And he doesn't want us complaining about what a burden it is to give to him. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. And again, we're reminded that attitude matters to God. We see, he said, I'd rather, rather see the temple closed than have you giving with such bad attitude. Now, I know we don't offer sacrifices on an altar. We don't offer animals to God in that way. Jesus was our once and forever sacrifice. Um, but the principle is the same. And one of those principles, think, think of someone you would love to meet. Politician, celebrity, musician. Pick someone that you would enjoy, that you would just love to meet, that you found out that they were in town and for whatever reason you were going, that you had the chance to invite them over and they were going to come and, and visit. Be somebody, just somebody that you like. Everybody's got somebody different. Um, imagine if they came over. And, so imagine, let me, let me use myself then as an example. Let's pick someone we, let's see. Pam, Pamela and I enjoy the actor Kevin Sorbo. He was in Hercules and Andromeda, and he's a good science fiction actor, so I'll pick Kevin Sorbo. Um, if I found out that this actor was coming over, imagine if when he came to my house, I said, boy, there were a lot of comic books that came out this week. Hope you're okay with peanut butter and jelly, because that's about all I can afford right now. I wouldn't do that. Once in a lifetime opportunity to meet an actor that I've enjoyed for since I was in high school, wouldn't do that. That would that that would be embarrassing. It should be embarrassing, uh, unless I found out that was his favorite thing to eat. That would be embarrassing. And if we wouldn't, and that's what like, If you wouldn't do that for some for a human who's important. Malachi gives the example of the governor, but. Whoever, if you wouldn't do that for a person, why would we do that for God? Why would we give him the leftovers? So turn with me then, just turn forward one chapter to Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Tell... Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing for it, uh, so much blessing, sorry, that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. And then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So here's what I understand. That Malachi is telling the people. If a tithe is by definition 10%, and the Israelites were commanded to tithe, then not bringing 10% was robbing God. What if they brought 9%? Well, here's my question. Let's say that you owe $1,000 on taxes. If you give 900, you're good, right? I mean, close enough. 
right? The you can round, round off to the nearest hundred or, or what. No, you, if you haven't paid, the government's still going to say you still owe. You haven't paid what you're supposed to pay. Uh, if you don't pay all your taxes to Uncle Sam, Uncle Sam will say you're, you're cheating on your taxes. You, you know, unless you set up payment plan, you're in trouble with Uncle Sam. If Now, we're talking Old Testament. Israel had different rules than the church. In the Old Testament, if you didn't give God what he deserved, God called that robbing from him, and he punished the people accordingly. Now, if the people tithed, they were blessed. And, and if, if they gave an offering, they were amply blessed. Now, notice we talk about tithes and offerings. So what's the difference? There, there's three things. There, there, the tithe is 10%. They owed that. That was, Israel, that was the law of Israel. They owed 10%. Wasn't, for them, it wasn't optional. For them, it was required. Less than 10%, whether it's zero or one or nine and a half, less than 10% was robbing God. More than 10% was an offering. 10% was the tithe. The offering was when they hit everything after the 10. 11%, 15%, 20%, whatever. That was an offering. And they weren't allowed to say, well, I'm, I'm not going to tithe, but I'm going to give an offering. You don't, you don't have that as not. That'd be like doing your taxes and saying, yes, I would like to donate to this fund, but I'm also not going to pay my taxes. That's not an option. God, God required of them 10%, but they could in gratitude give more. And God said, I will bless you if you tithe, and I will amply bless you if you give above and beyond. A friend of mine who's a preacher in Illinois named Jason pointed out, he said, when you pull up at a stop sign and actually stop, and I get that not everybody does that, um, when you pull up and stop at a stop sign, the police do not throw you a party and, and do not give you a citizen's commendation because you're expected to stop at a stop sign. Um, citizens' con- uh, commendations, those kinds of things happen for things that are way above and beyond. And what we see in the Old Testament was that the tithe was just expected. You didn't get a pat on the back or anything for, for that because that was just kind of your job. If you wanted to live in God's land of Israel, you were expected to tithe. Above and beyond showed gratitude. That, that was going the, the extra distance. Now, where does that put us with the church? There is no command to tithe. But I think it's a great starting off point. I really do. Um, I... I, I would say that, that an easier way, I still think that the phrasing is, is easy. I think tithing is a good thing. I think to me, an offering is, is when we go above and beyond that expectation. But I, I'm grateful that we live in a time when that's not a legal law requirement. But I still think it's a great starting point. If Israel could do it, and we live in a day and age where we are very blessed with the level of wealth, especially here in the U.S. We're, we're not fighting for survival the way they are in so many countries. We may compare ourselves to our neighbors and say, I'm doing terrible. But we live in a level of luxury that makes me think that we should maybe try tithing and see if, like God promises the people of Israel, if he won't throw open the floodgates of his blessings. Um, at the end of the day, it is between you and God. And I do think that it's a spiritual thing. I don't think it's a matter of keeping the lights on. I think it's a spiritual act of worship. Um, and I think, I think there's our, there are principles involved. Okay, so now, New Testament. Luke chapter 21. 
As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury, and he also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Well, I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. I think the lesson's obvious. God cares more about percentage than the, final, than the actual numbers. Bill Gates's millions are probably less than my thousands. So don't worry about the amount. Don't worry about... Uh, uh, I don't want to say let's focus just on percentage, because that still feels legalistic. But the tithe, the concept, the spiritual concept of the tithe is more about percentage. It is more about percentage than it is about exact numbers. So again, I want to offer this challenge. If you're not tithing, give it a try. The worst thing, in my own experience, God can make my 90% go farther than I can make 100%. I just found that out from my, I found that out long ago and I'm grateful. And I believe that that's a very true statement. Um, I, I make no promises that if you tithe, you will get a raise, that your kids will behave, that you will get better job and better stuff. Uh, I just make the promise that you will draw close to him. I believe that. The widow, this widow pleased Jesus. That's the blessing that we want. We want to please Jesus. Acts chapter 5. Now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. But he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door. They will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. And the lesson here is don't pretend to give more than you do. They didn't have to give a thing. Peter tells them that. This is your property. You didn't have to sell it. Having sold it, you didn't have to give any of it to the church. But you lied about how much. You pretended that you were giving all, lied, pretending, that you gave it all, the entire price to the church, and that's not true. Uh, I get the impression the prior passage says that Barnabas sold a field and gave the money to the church and I get the impression that they knew that Barnabas sold the field and and mistook his gift of charity as as an act of getting popular and fame and power in the church that this made him a big deal in the church and they wanted to be a big deal in the church but knowing what we know about Barnabas he didn't do that for the fame or the popularity he's always plays Second, Paul and Barnabas, it's not Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas didn't do it for the fame and the power. They lied, and God made an example of them. Good news, I don't think God makes that level of an example of us today. 
but I think that we should take it that serious. I think giving to the Lord is important. Um, don't brag about it. It's between you and God. Take, take it seriously. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. To me, this is a proof text that the early church met on Sundays. I'm not While the Bible doesn't say how often they met to partake of the Lord's Supper, although I think that we have an example that, as we talked about last week, that they probably did it um, on Sundays, on the first day of the week. I think it's a good proof text for taking up the collection plate every Sunday. Um, this is... Uh, uh, pe- people will say, oh, the early church didn't meet on Sundays. You occasionally hear people say they met on Sabbath and we should meet on Sabbath. No, I don't think. I, the, ch- the early church met on Sundays. We see this. This is one of those proof texts that they gathered together on Sunday uh, and, and they did it in part to partake of a weekly offering. Uh, they, they didn't pay Paul weekly. They, they kind of saved it up until Paul visited. And what Paul was doing was gathering this collection to help out the churches. Uh, in, in Jerusalem. And uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that in 2 Corinthians. Um, and, and I think that that's what we, we, we gather together. We pass the plate on Sunday. Uh, but we also don't... We have missions that we support and we don't send a weekly check. Uh, like the example of the early church, we collect it for a while and then we send a lump sum. That actually seems to be the biblical uh, uh, purpose. And, and Paul is clear, based on your income... Some people get paid weekly. Some people get paid every other week. Some people get paid monthly. Uh, what works for you is not going to work for someone else on giving to the church. And that's okay. Let me be very clear on that. That's, a, that's okay. That's a private matter between you and God. Um, uh, between you and God, figure out what works best for giving to his ministry. Now, speaking of ministry, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I told you we're going to hit a lot of these. We're flying through all right, Second Corinthians chapter 8. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. And so we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. 
last year you were the first, not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it will be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. All right. So the situation here. The Christians in Jerusalem were in a terrible way. Um, they, the, 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 the Jews in Jerusalem were confiscating the property of the Christians. They were broke. They were persecuted. And so the Greek churches, like Corinth, uh, were collecting uh, funds and helping them, helping them in, in their time of need. Now, there is a difference between trying to help everybody on planet Earth and trying to help your family. And the church is family. We cannot, I'm in favor of feeding the poor. We at this church do not have the resources to feed all the poor, even just in Elkins. Um, I'm not saying it's bad to try to take care of the poor. I think think that's a great Christian example. But the church is not a charity. Its goal is not to meet all the physical needs of the world. We just can't do that. We don't have those resources and God hasn't called us to. The job of the church is to take care of its own. And we see that again and again in the New Testament, that the church takes care of its own because we're family, and when one person is in need, the rest of the church helps out. Um, this, is, this is a way that God blesses us. We don't do this to support the lazy. Paul says in, it's, it's, it has to do with the time of need, and that later the time of need may swap, and these churches may be in trouble, and, and the other ones may help out. The Bible is clear. Uh, Paul and Thessalonians, Christians, should work as they're able. But Paul says that they did this for God, not not for Paul, that this was worship. Uh, So what do we take from this? I think supporting the churches in need, supporting Christians and missions in need is biblical. I think keeping all the money that we collect to ourselves would be selfish, and I'm grateful that we're part of a church that has an extensive missions budget, and I think that this is our, our, our example to go to. And, and we publish those numbers. And if you want to see those numbers, if you're curious about the missions that we give, we have a bulletin board in the back that we put all our letters from our missions groups on. We, pu- we, we publish the budget yearly. And we try uh, very hard to support other work that needs the funds that doesn't have it. One last passage I want to look at. Just turn over uh, to, cha- to chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. 
This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience and accompany, that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So hear what Paul is saying. You, you will be blessed by money. No, that's not what he says. You will have a harvest of righteousness. You will be right with God. Can you buy your way into heaven? No, you cannot buy your way into heaven. Absolutely not. Um, you cannot buy God's favor. But having, having said that, Valentine's Day was recently. If I had said to Pam, sorry, I was going to take you out to eat, but I bought too many comic books, so that's, gonna, that's, that's on hold. We'll, we'll try next year. I can't buy her love, but I bet I can buy her disfavor. <laughs> right? And I think it's the same with us, with God. You can't buy God's love, but I think how you spend your money can disappoint him. Uh, can, can, if, we use Old Testament language, if we use Old Testament language from Malachi, I think disappointment is a, is a, uh, is a mild word. Um, you can't buy God's love, but I think, you can dis- I think you can purchase his disfavor selfishly. So let me close in saying this. Our, I think our wallets show our priorities. Now you can disagree, but I'll, as I said before, not all opinions are equal. What, what you spend your money on shows what's important to you. Absolutely it does. Um, that might be different if we're living in Ethiopia or, or some, some really poor country where, where they are fighting for survival. All of us have hobbies. All of us have things that we spend money on, on our hobbies. Um, and, and, and we may compare ourselves to our neighbors and say, I'm really broke. But if we compare ourselves to the rest of the world, most of us are doing pretty good, if we're honest. TVs are a luxury. Cell phones, I know you need them for a job, but they're kind of a luxury. There's a lot of things that we could do without that most of the world does without. God doesn't need your money, and he can bless his church without you. But uh, who, who would want that? Who would want to be left out of that? Uh, who wants to be left out of his plans? Make a commitment to prioritize God. Give him your first and your best. I don't say this because the church needs to keep the lights on. I say this because it's your act of worship, and I as your pastor want to say you need to worship God totally, not just with your mouth. Um, our hymn of invitation today is hymn number 327. Have you given your life to God? You know, as we go through these basics of faith, the call for you is to believe and repent of your sins, to commit your life to God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and to follow Him. And we call this discipleship. If you're not, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, let, we should talk about that because tomorrow is not promised. And we want to be right with God uh, because He loves us and He wants the best for us and following Him is our best. And if, you don't, if that doesn't apply to you, let's, let's talk. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.